0: This program is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance
1: Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and
0: bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scots Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live, our Facebook club. It's terrific to have you on a Saturday morning here. It's a very special Saturday morning because we wouldn't normally do facebook live on uh, sad days but we've had so many questions coming in with springtime with weather challenges across the country so i'm here purely to help answer your gardening questions this morning and we've got a lot of them already flowing in it's fantastic to have everybody coming through we've got uh, some incentives for you as well the the best 10 questions we've got these amazing packet seeds from our friends at mr FolliGills, and i'll give you uh, some of those and lachlan will uh, Allocate them to our favourite questions and answers. So we've got a lot of questions that have come through. So I'll answer some from the past if you've been hanging on because you missed. Good news is we're going to we're going to cover that today. And for those of you that are tuning in this morning live, <clears throat> you can actually enjoy this um, by asking your own questions and I'll answer them for you. It's that easy. Now, just important things. Please tell us where you're from, because uh, we're we're beaming in all over the country. If we don't know where you're from, sometimes it's a bit hard to help you with uh, with solving some of the problems. Uh, So, state, town, or city or suburb. Ideally, that's the scenario. And of course, please do me (coughs) excuse me, I'm a bit croaky this morning. Uh, Do me a big favour and uh, give us a like if you um if you like what we're doing this morning because it shares it with all your friends and uh, that just spreads the love and that's what it's all about. Okay. <clears> hmm, <throat> where shall we start? Let's start with a photograph. So Daniel from Kabultia uh, in uh, Queensland has sent through a very interesting photograph. Now, um, this is a good way to go. Sometimes it's very difficult to um, show exactly what the what what the problem is or to describe what the problem is, but a photograph will go a long way. And you can see here we've got a cucubit, so it's it's either a rock melon or a cucumber leaf, Uh, and it's got patching all over it. It's really quite interesting. Now, Daniel's concerned about the the yellow bugs that he's seeing, and he thinks that they're trying to kill the, the leaf. But, Daniel, this is a really interesting question because, in actual fact, the bugs that you're looking at there are the larvae of ladybirds, and we want them. So the question is why there's so many ladybird larvae on the concubit, um foliage. And I think there's some little white spots there. So you can see that there's probably uh, an insect of some sort that they're actually eating. So they're controlling this this pest. The leaf itself actually is something that you should look at. So the real problem with your cucubits here is not them so much being eaten, but it's more so fungal problem so it looks to me like you've very very much like you've got a a severe case of powdery mildew so in actual fact what we're doing here is treating not a not an insect problem but a fungal problem and the way to do that is to use a uh, a side now there's a lot of them out there Um, I would suggest that you might want to think very, very carefully about uh, maybe even a, a bit of a sulphur spray, um, depending on how hot it's getting. So I'd head into your local garden centre, um, have a chat to them about uh, the best fungicide that they stock for the treatment of powdery mildew. That's going to help the cucumbers. There is one thing, powdery mildew is generally very active when there's moisture on the foliage at night. Now, this applies to all plants, not just melons, for example, but particularly things like uh, pumpkin, and roses. So if you're getting moisture on the foliage of them at night, this disease will spread rapidly through your plants and the leaves will look just like that, very unhappy. So I hope um, I hope this helps. So what you don't want to do is spray insecticide because we don't want to kill those ladybird larvae. They, they're, doing, they're probably doing a very good job for you. Uh, what we do want to do is get control of that fungicide so uh, that fungus so a fungicide is is the key hopefully that helps that's what this morning's all about is sharing sharing the right advice uh to help you get ahead i hope that uh that we're heading in the right direction all right now with next couple of questions i've got coming in i'm not sure where you're from and uh pretty general so i'm not going to have a problem answering this for you but uh, it is very important that you do do us a, a big favour and make sure that you um, tell us where you're from. The first one is from Alan. Can you please tell me the quantities of water, sugar and Vegemite for making your own fruit fly traps? Well, right now is when you need to get control of fruit fly. It is a significant problem. And the way to make these traps, well, a two-litre bottle of water, uh, of sorry, a two-litre cool drink bottle, plastic, cut the top off, and turn it around and put it funneled down into, into the container. Yeah. The container itself underneath, pop before you put the funnel in actually, pop about four te- tablespoons of Vegemite in there. Now, you will want to put probably four tablespoons of sugar with that and then a litre of water. So it's going to be about half full. And then you've got to mix it thoroughly. That Vegemite has to actually be dissolved for it to be most effective. So it's going to take a bit of vigorous mixing to get a real Vegemite-y sort of liquid in there. So what you should smell is you should smell the Vegemite, which um, is, is going to have quite a distinctive aroma. And the sugar will ferment that Vegemite even further. So it makes it even stronger. Pop the funnel back in and then Tie it, uh, put a hole in the side, tie it and hang it inside the tree. Now, if you've got a decent-sized tree, you might need four or five of those traps. Um, put them around the outside. What will happen is the the fruit fly will fly, they'll they'll pick up the smell of the Vegemite and they'll head down inside. And once they get inside, they get overwhelmed and they drown in the water. Um, some of these types of, of um, fruit fly traps involve putting an insecticide in and if you were going to put an insecticide in you're only going to want to put probably about five mil and it would be well it's it's your choice to be quite honest you could use anything from pyrethrum through to one of the more stronger forms of insecticide um bathroid is probably the one that i would lean on just so you know hopefully that helps alan two liter bottle one liter of water at least four big heaped teaspoons of Vegemite, at least four heaped teaspoons of sugar, mix it all up thoroughly and have it inside the tree. And and it's going to give you about a metre and a half square um, of real good strong coverage. They'll fly there before they go to your fruit and you should end up with a good crop. I know this year I have got probably 50 or 60 kilos of apricots and apricots are the ones that get hit the hardest. So... I've got to make sure I've got lots of those traps up in my tree and I've, I've been using that and I've been using a Vegemite paste as well. Uh, again, so literally it's Vegemite and about five mils of Baythroid Advanced mixed up in a bit of a liquid and um, really mixed thoroughly so it's all the way through and then painted simply on the trunk of the tree and that is also incredibly effective. In fact, after I did the first painting, uh, everywhere that I put it, and I didn't put a lot of it out there but everywhere I put it, it the next day I looked at it and I thought there's something gone wrong with this because it's gone all fuzzy and when I took a closer look there were so many fruit flies stuck to it that they were creating this almost like a, a fine hair kind of look across the top of the surface. so a lot of fruit fly around and that is a great way to get control of it. I hope that's helping. Kathy, we're not sure where you're from either. Um, I've got a cape gooseberry bush that flowers, but the fruit that is produced doesn't ripen. It stays green then rots. What could the issue be? It's a very unusual thing. It is probably, I hate to say it, Kathy, it's probably just that particular bush. So you know with tomatoes, right? So you can get a yellow tomato or a red tomato. You can also get a green tomato. Now, it doesn't mean that the fruit, when it's mature, isn't ripe. It's just that because it's green, it's very hard for you to pick when it's ripe. So it's more than likely that this particular bush, um, when you look inside those little lanterns that's got the fruit uh, on the inside, that fruit is just not turning yellow. That's your only real issue. So um, maybe you want to pick the whole lot of them as they get to a, a reasonable size and try and ripen them inside. They might change colour, but it might be a variety that just has green ripe fruit. Don't know whether that helps or not. But anyway, hopefully explains it. Gabby, all right, now we've got somebody telling us where they're from. Collie in WA. It's a beautiful part of Western Australia. Gabby's got two nectarine trees and two apricot trees. Uh, Oh, no, she wants to know if she needs two nectarines and two apricot trees for cross-pollination. Gabby, you don't need that. You only need one nectarine and one apricot. Apricots do require cross-pollinators, but there are so many apricots in the particularly southwest region of Western Australia and bees carry that pollen and bees move across a five-kilometre radius from the hive, they are going to cross-pollinate those apricots for you. So my suggestion would be that um, that you don't need the two. Um, if you put an apricot tree in and it's not setting fruit after it's flowering, then maybe add an additional tree. But generally, as a general comment in the built-up areas, it's not an issue. Francis is from Corumbara in Victoria. Sorry, Francis. Can I grow a fig tree in a large pot? Absolutely. They'll grow very, very well in large pots. Um, A half wine barrel, probably ideal. Uh, What you're basically doing with a fig tree uh, in that environment is you're effectively bonsaiing it. So it'll contain it um keep pruning it don't be scared to sort of prune it and shape it and keep it nice and compact and it'll produce really good crops of figs so and and they look quite good uh hopefully that helps you uh francis let's go to maryborough in east queensland Stephen, hello what is a good feature flowering showstopper shrub or tree three to four meters in height that I can plant along the footpath. Okay, three to four metres. You're in East Queensland, so going to get uh, some cooler conditions. No, no, you're going to get warmer conditions, coastal, and uh, I would suggest that maybe the thing to do is to think about one of those smaller, one of those dwarf... Um, so you've, you've got a few options, actually. So you can go for the tropicals. So there's some some quite lovely uh tropicals that might sort of go into this environment quite well things like the golden shower tree they can get quite large but if you just contain it they'll stay at about three to four meters and then you'll have that beautiful cascading uh, effect of the the tree and particularly if you've got them on either side of a pathway uh it looks sensational when all the flowers are hanging down so your neighbors will rave um as far as small trees go that um that you might want to think about that would probably do pretty well, I'm thinking that the flowering crab apples could also do quite well for you there. I think that they would perform really well in that environment. It might be worthwhile jumping onto the Fleming's website. That is flemings.com.au, I'm pretty sure. Now, they're a tree producer. They've actually got a nursery up in Queensland. Um, But uh, as far as a, a showstopper, that's one option for you um I'm thinking through my garden to give you a few examples I, I do think that there, there are some lovely dwarf uh, magnolias they again fragrant so um pretty pretty good and then you could go for some of the things like the mock orange um the, the orange jessamine they're really good shrubs but again kind of a larger shrub at more two meter sort of height so few options for you to consider I would jump onto that Fleming's website if you're looking for a tree okay um, oh and and one more which is is always fantastic and will do exceptionally well up there of course is the crape myrtles and there are some black foliage forms and a huge range of colors now crape myrtles vary dramatically in height from quite compact one to two meter shrubs right through to trees that get 10 meters in height so be very careful with your selection, but take a look at them because there are some really beautiful ones there. And again, that Flemings.com.au, they have some, they have a couple of great selections there that you might want to take a look at. All right, let's come back to WA. So we've been to WA, we've been to Victoria, we've been to Queensland twice. Now we're in Mount Pleasant, and Helen is saying that she's been saving pumpkin seeds from pumpkins she purchased in supermarkets. Are these viable to plant? Absolutely. That's exactly, that's where the seed in the, the packets that you would buy at the garden centre come from. Absolutely. And now's the time to get them into the ground, Helen. This sort of weather that we've got, this warm weather, you're going to see lots and lots of germination quite quickly of all the cubits. So the pumpkins, the melons, the cucumbers, uh, the zucchinis, they're all going to be producing significant uh, crops in a very short period of time when we've got warm weather like we've got. So just to put that into context, folks, I know it's been very wet up and down the east coast. Uh, Perth is looking at uh, two thirty-five degree days over the weekend, so that's a game changer when it comes to uh, to the way these more tropical plants like uh, capsicums and and uh, some of the some of the um, things like chilies, etc., really explode into growth and also flower and fruit once we get these sorts of temperatures. Simone wants to know, how long does it take for an avocado tree to produce if you grow it from seed? This is a good question, Simone. It can be anywhere between four and seven years, typically. Um, Sometimes I've heard people have had avocados that are 11 years old before they've seen any sign of fruit. The best avocado tree to get is a grafted variety because you're guaranteed of the quality of the fruit. When you grow them from seed, you can get variation. Now, variation... Can be a good thing too because sometimes you can get really spectacular fruit like large full of flesh uh, great with oils sometimes you can get them where they're large seeds and very little flesh and that's the variation that that you've got to watch out for it's the risk that you need to be trying to i think minimize if you don't have a lot of room so if you don't have a lot of room and you want avocados you know the variety you like you know maybe maybe go and get yourself one of those varieties and plant those out. Okay, we're going to go to Adelaide. It's great to be in South Australia this morning. Ellen, good morning to you. Uh, my two pear trees have dropped all the little pears. What can I do so they stay on my trees? All right, well, it's highly likely that that's occurring because you've had some kind of drying event going on, Ellen. This is a natural thing. It's not an unusual for all fruiting trees to drop their fruit. Um, once they've set fruit to drop a number of their fruit. It's, it's kind of a natural um, natural thinning process. But what's going on is uh, our soil moisture levels are changing. And when the plant goes into flower and it sets fruit, it thinks, well, this is the sort of moisture that I'm going to have all the time for the duration of me producing that fruit to maturity. But what happens is as the, as the water moisture changes, the tree actually will shed some fruit and also foliage. So what you probably need to do is start looking at irrigating those pear trees um, until you actually get to the point of harvest. And you might want to be thinking about putting a net over them as well, Ellen, if they're anything like mine. At the moment, uh, the cockatoos are having a ball chewing chunks out of my fruit. They just take a couple of mouthfuls and they throw them on the ground. Very frustrating. Pommy is in Melbourne. Hello, Uh, photo attached. All right, let's have a bit of a look here. Pommy's asking this question. My mulberry tree produces plenty of fruit, but it's all very small. Um, the previous homeowner grew the tree, so I don't know the species. Are the fruits small because of the species? Yeah, it's a variety. And um, this one is one that's quite, um, quite a, just a small fruit. It produces lots of them. Um, but if you want a you know, big, plump fruit, then you're going to need to look for something like the black English, really good fruit, high-quality fruit. Um, or if you're looking for long, sweet fruit, then Chartout, the red and the white mulberries. Um, they have Indian origins. It's a beautiful tree and it'll grow really well in Melbourne. So black English and Chartout. Check them out in your local garden centre, Pommy. Thanks very much. Hilbert in WA is a suburb in, in Perth. And Rebecca said she's got two quollop bells in pots. I'm wondering if you have some tips to get them through the summer. Rebecca, Qualop bells. Obviously, they originate from that Ravensthorpe area in that that biosphere region um, of WA. That's just a um, it's just a bio hotspot down there. There are so many unusual plants, including the qualop bells, which only come from that area. The ones you've got in pots are probably grafted, which will help them get through the summer. But there's a few things to take into account. Obviously. Southwest um, of WA, it's cooler. Um, there, there is a little bit of summer rainfall through there. They will get through quite well. They grow in quite granity sort of soil. So it's a granite soil, so it's quite a heavy soil. Um, and the other thing you want to keep in mind is moisture, so don't let them dry out. They're in pots, great risk of them drying out. Don't let them sit in water but make sure that at least three times a week they're getting a good soaking. And I guarantee you'll get them through the summer without any problems, Rebecca. Hopefully that helps.
1: Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer, so make sure after today's show you jump online and visit their website.
0: We're back in Adelaide, which is great. In fact, we've got a few questions coming through from South Australia, which is fantastic. All of you guys in other states, get your questions in. Um, it's a great challenge for me uh, to keep thinking about that. I have to check the weather and check the rainfall and all the major capitals, so I'm, um, I'm on top of what's going on in your area. Brooke is in Adelaide, and uh, do you have any hints on successfully growing blueberries and raspberry plants? I can't seem to grow any fruit. All right, well, I've got a fabulous... Range of um, of blueberries uh, growing in my garden. There is no doubt the variety you chi- you actually pick is going to be the difference between success and failure. I have one called Sunshine, and it's absolutely beautiful. That's the blueberries. Really easy. As far as raspberries go, raspberries actually do best when they've got a little bit of uh, a bit of shade. So Adelaide, you can get s- extremely scorching hot during the summer. And raspberries will really suffer in those conditions. In fact, usually when the fruit is just coming through and starting to be ready for picking is when you start getting those really hot days and you'll see the, sh- the fruit literally shrivel before your eyes if you're not careful. So my suggestion is that you make sure that you've got them with a little bit of, of shade cover, cover, either afternoon shade, so a tree on one side of them or fence on one side of them, uh, or alternatively put a shade cover up over the top of them Both of them should be producing lots of fruit for you so you can't go wrong. Okay, Margaret is in the Upper York Peninsula in South Australia, you see? South Australians, you're on fire this morning. We've got a new lawn sprouting and being on acreage, the weeds are sprouting right alongside the grass. Can we treat them with weed and feed now or do we need to wait until the grass is more mature? My advice to you is that you do let that grass mature because um, putting a herbicide down, even a select herbicide, even if it's not going to affect the finer leaf grasses, it can be a little bit problematic so yeah let the lawn mature a little bit and then once you've kind of got it hardened off then maybe use a weed and feed now if you've got a broadleaf lawn uh buffalo kaiq, one of those then what you need to do is be very very careful with regards to the type of herbicide that you're going to use so make sure you pick up a, a buffalo friendly and there are some hosons from people like scott's um that's the uh, the Hozon uh, Lawn Builder, and that's designed specifically for those buffalo grasses. I hope that helps. Liz, we're not sure where you're from. You've got an old frangipani. Can I prune it? Absolutely you can. Um, frangipanis love being pruned. Now is the perfect time to do it, Liz. And don't be scared. You can go quite hard on them and uh, they'll bounce back. Just remember that whatever you prune off... going to affect the flowering for the next 12 months so don't expect a great year of flowering but you will you know if you get your tree into shape you will benefit from the tree being stimulated with lots of new growth which means the following year you'll have an exceptional year of flowering hopefully that helps tyson now tyson's a great friend of ours thanks for joining us again i want to know how your packet seeds are going by the way tyson hopefully you've sown them and that they're doing really well you're in baronia in victoria could i plant watermelon seeds where i live Do you have any tips for growing from seed? Tyson, um, simple thing with watermelon, glass, pop the seeds into the bottom of the glass and make sure that if you've taken them from a watermelon that they've dried out, pop them in the bottom of the glass, then put some boiling water in there. Let it sit for about an hour, then take it out and plant your seeds in nice moist soil. Ideally, free draining has to be in full sun and they'll take off and do really, really well. Okay, Joy is in Hoppers Crossing. Hello, Joy. We're staying in Victoria now. That's great. I think we're getting quite a few starting to flow through from Melbourne, which is brilliant. Love Melbourne. Love your gardening environment. This is just sensational. Joy, for for a few years I've cut down the calls. Oh, uh, I think I've cut down the calls on my Globe asparagus. Can I dig up the old plant and just plant the pups? Absolutely. In fact, just on on the... um, yeah, I think you can. Yeah, you won't have a problem with that. And if you've got pups, yeah, you can split them. I'm just wondering whether, yeah, I'm wondering whether you mean globe artichoke though. Anyway, Joy, if, if it's asparagus, um, the answer is yes. And if it's an artichoke, the answer is yes. It actually both of them will um, will produce uh, some pups. Although uh, your asparagus should have a really big corm at the bottom of it. So yeah, you know, I'm not 100% confident we're talking the same thing here, but. Uh, the answer is yes for both of them Jenny is in Western Melbourne how can I stop spider webs on my outdoor plants I've tried white oil but it hasn't worked well white oil should do the job actually um, they don't like it at all but what you've got to do is you've got to spray under the foliage not over the top so that would be the, the trick with regards to spider webs um, in Melbourne and the next step is obviously using insecticides but I'm gonna say this spiders play a very important role in a garden they control all of the bad bugs that you don't want in and sometimes you lose some of the good ones but they are an important part of the ecosystem so think twice before you get rid of them all maybe if they're in a you know excessive amount then maybe you want to think about um treating a certain area but but where you can leave them to do their thing because they do save you uh, a lot okay uh sheree is in bunyip When using, just for future, when using weed and feed on my lawn, my yard's a bit of a slope. It obviously ran down into my garden bed and killed two plants. Right, so uh, two things with weed and feed. One is only spray on a warm, dry day. Now, you don't want it over 30 degrees, but if it's sort of 25 to 28 degrees, perfect conditions for spray. Don't over-soak the ground. You only need to cover over the foliage of your lawn and never spray any kind of weed and feed or any kind of herbicide, to be honest, any kind of insecticide on a windy day. Windy days and spraying do not go together. So please don't do that. There are so many risks associated with it, including killing your favourite plants. Hopefully that helps Cherie. Cherie's a great uh, fan of ours and great supporter too. So thank you. Okay, let's keep moving along. We'll go back to Adelaide. Hello, Brooke. Um, I'm growing potatoes in a pot How will I know when to pick them? Well, what you'll see is you'll see the plant grow big, it'll produce flowers, and once those flowers have set, it'll start to yellow and die back. And that is the time to break it open or take it out of the pot, break open that soil, and you will have potatoes everywhere. And then all the little ones back into some fresh potting mix because that'll give you your next crop. Um, Great way to grow potatoes. A lot of people don't think about it, but growing potatoes in pots is awesome. Leilani is in Brisbane. Hello, we've gone north, which is fantastic. Can I spray vegetable foliage with compost tea? Well, you can, but I'm not sure why you would do it. See, compost tea, you're doing that because it's got nutrients in it. The biggest thing with compost tea is the microbial, the bacterial activity that's going on in that. And really, that's where you want it in the soil. You're putting that in around the base of the soil, and you've got some existing organic matter, say you've mulched the garden beds. Um, that compost tea will do the world of good. It's a handy thing, but um, putting it over the foliage isn't really going to do anything except for putting bacteria on the foliage, which may or may not be problematic for you if they're leafy vegetables and you're eating them. So, yeah, I'd put it on the um, on the soil if I was you, Leilani in Brisbane. Thank you, Monica is in Gippsland, so we're back in Victoria. I have a finger lime tree and it looks like it's fruiting. They're about one centimetre. When will they be ready to pick and how big do they grow? Well, most of the finger limes are only about that big. Um, You will see the fruit will start off green and it'll change colour depending on the variety. Some of the varieties you do pick green, but you'll still see it'll get a yellowish blush to it when it's ripe. Um, How long? Well, it'll depend on your temperatures. Gibson can have cooler temperatures it can also be very hot but um, these will grow slowly and typically in my garden we're talking probably 12 to 16 weeks before the fruit is ready so mine's flowering maybe just some very small set um, fruit at the moment but I'm not expecting seriously to be harvesting probably till April next year so it sounds like a long way away, but it's just how citrus work. Stephen is in East uh, East Queensland. Hello, I've set up a new garden with brand new soil, but when it rains, they fill up with water and it doesn't drain away. Got a clay heavy soil underneath them. How can I fix this issue? Very difficult, Stephen, and with the amount of rain that we've seen up and down the east coast, it's probably very evident at the moment. Banging holes into the ground with hollow pipes, like you get a metal tube, bang holes deep, maybe a metre or so into the ground, putting gypsum into the soil, it's going to aerate it. It will improve drainage a bit, but if you've got five or six metres deep of heavy clay, there's not a lot you can do. The only thing you can do is build up with a free-draining soil and that should keep your plants Um, on the healthy side and not saturated when, uh, when the soil becomes soggy.
1: This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone Anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com.
0: Okay, let's go to Mount Gambier in South Australia. Hello, Samantha. Do I have any mulch recommendations? I certainly do. The best mulches are well-composted mulches. Um, you will find that there are, there are some, some crop mulches, sugarcane. Uh, you can also obviously get uh, things like lupin mulch lift mulch is actually pretty good I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of it sugar cane i'm less a fan of it it's people in queensland will swear by it and northern new south wales um i'm not as big a fan and and over here in west australia there's one called carry uh, mulch which uh, it's another one what i'm not really keen on because it hasn't been composted so as long as the mulch you're using has been through a really good composting process and ideally that it's chunky right so you've got lots and lots of chunky parts in it you're going to improve the soil you're going to reduce water you're going to smother out weeds mulch is something that we should all be putting on our gardens right now and mount gambia is actually the source of some of the best uh, bark mulches that you can get it's actually where the majority of the rest of us in the country actually get them from because you've got one of the country's leading uh, soil composting companies based there which uh, I don't know whether you knew or didn't know, but anyway, that's uh, hopefully helpful for you. Samantha, Leah is in Brisbane. Photo attached. All right, Leah, let me have a look at this. Um, okay. Ooh, what have we got? We've we've got a leaf scarifying caterpillar, and they are literally peeling off the surface, the epidermal layer of the leaf, and and leaving it like that. You will have to spray them. I'm afraid if you want to keep those leaves on your um, on your figs, and you want to do it very quickly because these guys, um, you can see how they operate en masse together and they'll move through and they'll literally shred all of the foliage off your leaves. It's a bit unusual. I'm not sure the exact variety of this particular caterpillar. Maybe somebody out there knows this one. Um, But uh, I, I can tell you that you will need to treat it and you'll need to treat it fast. What are you going to use? I would use bathroid. That would be my recommendation to you. Hopefully that helps. Okay, let's keep moving along. Jenny is in Glenning Valley in New South Wales. How much can I prune off the top of a camellia hedge? We're hoping to bring the height down by a foot on a five-foot hedge. Look, you should be fine um, with something like that. So I would say bringing it down to sort of that four-foot level is going to be more more than okay. But if you cut too hard and too deep and we're going into some really hot days, some scorching days, there is a risk that you can cause some burning. So moving to that direction, you might want to put some cloth or some protection over the top of that hedge if you've cut it to the point where it's, it's exposed branches. Uh, it shouldn't take long this time of the year for that hedge to recover pretty quickly and start to put out new growth. So uh, yeah, I think you'd be fine. It sounds sounds pretty good to me. We are going to central Queensland. We are all over the country. This is fantastic. Judy, I've got a, an occasion. Oh, that's two years old it's never flowered how long should it be before it flowers it should be coming into flower this coming autumn okay so uh, generally two years old's about the sort of maturity stage that you'll start to see them produce a reasonable flower and then year three year four year five you start to get some really good flowering so you've only got good things to look forward to there's nothing you really need to do I wouldn't suggest you use a fertilizer or anything else. Just let it do its thing, Judy. Uh, Best advice I can give you. Sue is in Adelaide. Hello, can you grow fuchsias from cuttings? Should I use rooting powder or just plant straight into the soil? Absolutely. They will grow like crazy. I would, you can use uh, rooting powder and you want the softwood cutting rooting powder, but I would actually suggest you go for the Clonex gel. A lot better for, uh, for fuchsias. Take your cuttings. They all want to be probably 10 centimetres maximum in length. Um, peel off your, your bottom leaves pop them into to soil keep them nice and moist a, a good cutting mixture is a propagation mixture is a good way to go and so your success rate will be enormous they they love being in fact people stick the cutting straight into a glass of water and uh, they'll drop roots in that as well so there's another option for you hopefully that helps Barty is in Geelong in Melbourne hello my maidenhair fern is turning brown and the leaves are shrinking how can I save them please Barty get the scissors out Cut all that foliage off. Make sure that the plant is moist, that water is actually in that soil. Keep them nice and moist and you will find that they will do really, really well. Okay, we're at 9.35 over here in the west. We've got about 20 minutes to go. Get your questions in. Please get your questions in. This is your big chance to really uh, to do well with, um, with a personally answered question. Okay, I'm going to keep moving on. Um, Claire is in Cavisham. Now, Cavisham, I'm pretty sure it's the Cavisham that's in uh, Perth, Western Australia. My cooch has brown burnt patches. I'm not sure if it's from the heat or a used liquid sea salt and pellet-style soil wetter. I've purchased extreme green, but I'm scared it will do more damage. I suspect you've got cooch mite, Um, Claire. I reckon that that is... um, I reckon that is what you actually need. Um, It's an interesting thing because the the fertilisers you've used um, are not going to cause that damage. I'm sure it's an insect issue. It could also be an early attack because it's in patches um, of African black beetle. Now, both the the mite and the black beetle are both treated with bathroid, okay? So soak the ground, get a, a hose on bathroid, and soak the ground, and that should take care of both of them and knock them back at least for, for a period of time. Watch watch the lawn, see how it goes. Extreme green will definitely green up the areas that are alive. The areas that are dead are probably just going to need a little bit of a top dressing. Get yourself some of that Bailey's Lawn Reviver. It's a, organic, a fine organic compost, and it's just rake it over the patches, and that should encourage regrowth of that cooch straight back through that um that organic matter um wet it down make sure that it stays nice and moist let's uh let's head north let's go to north queensland maureen hello photo attached all right let me have a look at this photo i have a dying conifer okay um this is an interesting one it also produces lots of new growth. Do you have any idea what the cause could be? I've checked for insects, mites and rot. Have a look at the base of the plant and see if you can see any signs of sap, so like a crystallised sap, because this looks like it's got borer in it to me. This is a, this is where you're going to need a um, an insecticide uh, that is systemic, which means it's going to move through the sap. Um Sometimes you, you'll get beetles that will cause the same problem. Um, there's a few different types that do it. But, um, yeah, it's what's really good is that it is producing that new growth. I would get the secateurs out, I would cut out all that old wood and I would look at that insecticide. I, I do think that that's what the issue is. Hopefully that helps, Maureen, um, because it does look like it's suffering. And in the background it looks like there's another one there and it looks very happy. So, that's uh, it's a bit odd, really. Rick is in Sydney, and Rick's coming to us through our YouTube channel too, which is fantastic. So don't forget you can actually come through YouTube as well. Is there another brand of Searles Congard Garden and Lawn Insecticide? I use it to kill the orange and black bugs on my fruit trees. All right, I suspect that you're probably going to want to find that that particular active ingredient is um, has been sort of, it's not banned, but it's it's not being used very extensively at all and you certainly won't find it in Bunnings. Um, if you were to head into a Mitre 10 or an independent garden centre, keep your eye out there's a product called Rich Grows Bug Killer. Uh, it's a granulated one and you pop that in around the base and I think that might be the solution for you if you can't find any of the Searles con um, hopefully that helps, Rena. We're not sure where you're from. Remember, folks, tell us where you're from. Be nice to get some more from the north. Your your conditions in the north of Australia at the moment are really quite different. So, um uh yeah, send us your send us your questions through. Hopefully we can help. Okay, Rena, how can I preserve lemons when I cut them off the tree? I have them in an airy container, but they're going off. Well, to be quite honest, drying lemons is a really good thing. So if you get an uh, a, a, you either put them into a crisper in the refrigerator and they will last longer. Or alternatively, you can actually take them and cut them and dry them. It's a big trend at the moment. And popping dried lemon slices into cocktails is uh, one of the things that uh, is extremely popular in those trendy bars that, uh, that we are now just about all allowed to go back into. Okay, well, I asked for somebody from the north and it looks like we've got it. Thanks very much, Yvonne, who is in Darwin. My figs are not forming properly. The ends are soft and a pale colour. What could the issue be? It's pollination. Um, at the time of those figs setting, um, the flower hasn't um, hasn't set properly. So a fig is actually a flower. It's a, it's a, a really fascinating thing. In fact, it's a uh, it's full of flowers, full of tiny little flowers, and that's what makes it so sweet. Um they do need pollinators and generally it's sort of a, it's a beetle actually that does the the pollinating. Um, it could just be an odd year. It could be that you might need to look at um, maybe putting something sweet into the tree. So a little pot of honey or a few little pots of honey in the tree will will attract some of those pollinators in the next time it comes around to setting fruit. Hopefully that helps, Yvonne. um it's a bit of an unusual one, but it's not unusual for figs this time of the year not to actually ripen properly. So um, that's that's something that is just natural and it's just based on the environment. Okay, let's come back to the West. Hello, Aruni in Ardross who's a great friend of ours, always supports us. I put some Australian cloves, uh, garlic cloves, given by a friend into a pot a few months ago. They grew nicely and started turning yellow last week, so I pulled a couple out. They're ready, but they're small. Thinking of drying and replanting. So, should I be do what should I be doing to get bigger garlic? All right, well, it's when you plant it. So, garlic's actually quite a long crop. You really want to have at least 20 odd weeks, maybe 26 weeks before you go harvesting. So uh you said it was only a few months ago, so you're really looking five to six months. I would be planting my garlic in May and I would be harvesting in November and um, when it's when it's small, you can actually leave it in the ground and it'll bounce back and do its thing. You can take it out and dry it, but you can actually let it just die back, sit there dormant and, and, um, and resting, and then let it pop up when it's ready, when it's happy. That's probably my suggestion to you, Rooney. One of the good things about leaving garlic in the soil is that it does actually help keep some pests away. Um, there's a lot of pests that don't like garlic. Okay, let's go to... Bacchus Marsh in Victoria. Fantastic. Jan, hello, my rhubarb is going to seed. Do I leave it? Will it die? Leave it. Let it go to seed. Collect the seed. Um, It won't die. Um, Rhubarb just keeps on going. It's the great thing about it. So, uh, no, don't worry about it. Um, But... Do let it go to seed if you want it to push more foliage out then cut the seed heads off and what you'll find is it'll keep flushing foliage uh, for a bit longer hopefully that helps svetlana is in melbourne hello svetlana um i have or white fly or chili wasp all throughout my garden and lawn how can i manage this when it's throughout the entire backyard okay You've got three different things going on here. Um, the wasps that you're seeing are probably predatory wasps that are actually trying to control the th- uh, the white flies. Um, the thrip, you really want a predatory insect, I would suggest, in your backyard. So jump onto, there's a website called thegoodbug.com.au. You'll find it in there that you can go to a company that produces um, these, um, these predatory insects particularly good for thrips and mites and now's the time to be introducing them into the garden if you're seeing the damage the thrip population is either booming or it may have already busted um, you might find that the the, the whole thing's um, changed but the damage is what you're seeing currently thrips are really interesting they're a rasping insect <clears throat> they don't um, drill holes in like mites do they rasp and they make the sap bleed out and then as it bleeds out they consume that um, they're t- tiny they're tiny little specks of, of creatures, but there's, there'll be literally thousands of them on your plants. So bringing in predatory mites, which will eat those thrips, uh, is probably the suggestion. So thegoodbug.com.au, order it now. They'll send it in the mail. You're probably coming to the end of the period of time that you'll be able to get your hands on it. So act now. It's a lot better than necessarily throwing chemicals down. If you do want to just use a chemical treatment then uh, bathroid advance is probably going to be the chemical that you would want to use. Whew, we're rolling along. Okay, now, Gabby, you didn't tell us where you're from. Do I I have any advice for you for a lawn fertiliser that'll keep the lawn green but not cause too much growth? That's a really good point. Lawns that are overfed get spongy. And get a big build-up of thatch and, and becomes quite problematic. What you want to do is you want to use a lawn fertilizer that feeds small amounts on a regular basis, so a slow release. The one that I would rely on, one that golf keepers will often use, is the one from Scotts. It's called Lawn Builder, and it's a very easy one to apply. You can apply; you don't need to water it in. You can apply it on any kind of day, and it will do all sorts of a very very cool thing. Uh, cool things for your lawn um but it just causes that steady growth so I hope that that's of assistance Gabby and please remember tell us where you're from next time okay do I have any advice on lowering a pencil pine this is Vanessa in the wheat belt depends on how big your pencil pine is Vanessa sometimes sending a pick in will really help me um okay I, I think that with a pencil pine you can trim them there is no doubt you can literally top them and you can end up with beautiful pillars like columns and um, the trick with it is really to actually make sure that once you've gone and done that cut and this regrowth you immediately cut again and then as soon as there's regrowth you immediately cut again now that'll force it to keep that shape and what'll happen is instead of all the goodness going up it'll start to thicken the plant up as well so my suggestion would be you do that. I, you you can cut them. There's no doubt about it, and uh, can be quite effective. All right. Speaking of photos, and I mentioned photos before. Andrew sent this photo in, and um, it's quite an interesting problem. Now it's quite a quite an interesting story. He's, he's just harvested three types of garlic, which you can see in the photo. Now the front of the pick, the one closest to us, um, is. Small bulbs from an Australian stock that he got from a hardware store. Top left is a German variety that was given, and top right uh, is the Italian stock, which is unchanged from when imported 170 years ago. There are two questions attached to this. What are the smaller yellow brown bulbs growing on the bottom of the bulbs? And how do we use them? And some of those tiny bulbs are round and shaped like onions. Below the German varieties are larger versions of the onion type. What are they and what can we use for them? Well, they're literally, quite literally, they are little bulblets. And um, if you were to pick them off and take them and you could actually replant them straight away or you could let them sort of sit dormant for the, the next three or four months and then you replant them, they're all little plants. Now, they're going to regrow and take off. They're probably going to take more than a season to deliver you a bulb that's that's of size, one that you actually need. Um we'll comment about the varieties. So different varieties of of garlic will deliver different size bulbs and different colours sometimes. Um when you're buying garlic, this is the big tip for everybody who's listening in this morning, um don't buy garlic that's come in from overseas, please. What I mean by that is you need to have garlic that's been grown in Australia. If it's coming from Argentina or China, two of the big suppliers, what they do is they dip it in a growth retardant and this stops it from regrowing. The plants generally still try and grow and you end up with something that's quite scraggly. But what I'm really concerned about, and this really goes into what you, you are, what you eat and what you consume, is that if we're dipping these things in growth retardant and then you're taking it and you're using it, you're eating um, that produce, what's that doing to your body? And I don't know what the answer is. And I'm sure that the authorities would say it's, it's nothing and you shouldn't worry about it. But I do worry about it. And I think that you're a lot better to grow your own. If you can't grow your own, go out and get yourself some locally grown garlic. So look for Australian garlic. And the varieties, well, you know, you can see from, you can see the German looks fantastic, um, absolutely brilliant, um, and I think the Italian is just sensational. You can see the size of that. and There are lots of different types of garlic. So few different messages there. I hope that helps. Andrew, great question. Thank you so much for sending that through and thank you so much for sending the photographs through. Well, we're just about done. Uh, For the day, we're going to take a couple more questions, I think. Christine is in Manam in South Australia. We've had a lot of questions from South Australia. It seems like you're all out gardening, which is fantastic. I've got a mini magnolia, which has been flowering well, but there are small spikes left when the petals drop off. Should I leave or cut them off? Well, if you cut those off, if you actually cut those flowers off, it's a bit like your roses. It's like deadheading. Take that off. It will encourage the plant to produce more growth and most importantly more flowers and on a mini magnolia um, something that's nice and compact that just will look better and look fantastic so um, i would suggest that you just keep pruning them off encouraging that growth when you do that a little tip is to give them some fertilizer and a liquid fertilizer over the foliage is always a good way to go it really does help a lot and look we've got a comment come through from sheree in Bunyip, in victoria thank you so much for your very kind commentary every single bit of advice that you've given me over the last year has worked a treat thank you thanks shree thanks very much for your support and thank you everybody this morning for joining us um saturday mornings we don't normally do this but we just had so many questions and look we're we're right obviously well we've just moved out of spring we're right in the the beginning of summer and things are changing and everybody's got questions and it's great we want you to to participate we want to be able to support you with you growing the garden of your dreams. Gardening isn't hard. It is one of those things. It's instinctual. It's natural. And with a little bit of advice, you'll enjoy enormous success. Look, I wanted to say thanks so much for joining us today with the live stream. It's been great getting you involved. Lockie will send a message to our seed winners after today's show. Now, don't forget, The Garden Gurus is back on and it's this afternoon. We've only got two more weeks left of this season. Make sure you check it out. There's some great stories we're finishing off with a bang and uh, a lot of really good information some really inspirational new products and ideas and of course some good ideas for christmas time if you've got somebody you love and you want to buy them something the gift that lasts forever the one that grows on you get them some plants, get them something for their garden. They will love it. Remember, if you want any advice at all, you can always go to our website and catch up on previous stories. You can also go to our YouTube channel and and watch programs as well. Uh, That's thegardengurus.tv as far as the website goes or thegardengurus.tv. Just type that into your YouTube search channel and it'll come up with us there. You can listen back to today's session. If you've joined us halfway through, you want to catch the whole lot. The good news is all you have to do is go to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Audible, and you can listen to this as a podcast as you want. And I am going to be away for the next couple of weeks. I'm on assignment filming Uh, down in Esperance uh, on Monday and the beautiful Joanne Harris is going to join you. Jo is a veritable encyclopedia of gardening knowledge and has been doing this for a long time. She's got a beautiful garden centre, she's an inspiring horticulturalist and she will be joining us for Garden Guru's Life which will be 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9am for West Australian viewers I hope we have helped answer your questions today. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy gardening. I'm Trevor Coffrin. See you in a couple of weeks' time. The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune in to 9 and 9 HD this Saturday at 4.30pm across all states.
1: This live stream is brought to you by the Water Corporation. Western Australia has its own unique climate and with that comes its own set of challenges, particularly when it comes to creating a beautiful garden. Water Corporation has a wealth of resources to help master your garden, including a WaterWise plant directory, irrigation tips and popular garden designs. To find out more, visit watercorporation.com.au forward slash waterwise.
0: The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune into 9 and 9 HD this Saturday at 4:30 p.m. across all states. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episode, tune into 9 Life this Saturday at 5 p.m. When in doubt, make sure you check your local TV guide. The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune into 9 and 9 HD this Saturday at 4:30 p.m. across all states. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episode, tune into 9 Life this Saturday at 5 p.m. When in doubt, make sure you check your local TV guide.